Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo, and I have the pleasure today of having Matt Bell. He's been with us before on Stewardship Leader, and he is the managing editor at Sound Mind Investing, and he's written a book. In fact, we gave a copy of his book at our recent forum, which was amazing. I hope you got a chance to go to that. If not, we're going to be back in Florida next year, so join us for that. But Matt, welcome to Stewardship Leader. So glad that you're with us today. Thanks so much, Leo. It's really great to be with you. So, Matt, you and I have been friends for a long time. You've been talking about stewardship, teaching on stewardship, writing on stewardship for so many years. And you do that, of course, at SoundMind Investing. But also, you've written a bunch of books. And this recent one really is interesting. Uh, thank you for sending me a copy and for offering free copies to the folks that uh, attended our forum. Uh, everyone was very grateful for that. Thank you. So let sure. me tell you all what this book is about. And let me give you the title. So it's called Trusted. And the subtitle is Preparing Your Kids for a Lifetime of God-Honoring Money Management. So, Matt, you've written, again, as I said, so much on stewardship and generosity. Why did you write this book? And why on this topic of raising children in a God-honoring way so that they can manage money in a God-honoring way? Yeah, I just I just love this topic. It's been on my heart to do something on this topic for a long time. We have three kids. My wife Jude and I have have three kids. They've been kind of a living laboratory, for better or for worse, in, in teaching about money. And it's been fascinating to me to see that I've I've come to see that the kids can learn more about money, even complicated financial topics, at a younger age. Than I might have assumed. And so that's been really encouraging. But, but I'll tell you a couple of the motivating reasons why I wrote this thing. One, I made a lot of mistakes with money early in my life. And so I would love to prevent uh, some kids from having to go through the pain and the time that it took me to, to start getting on a better path financially. But, but there's also, there, there's so much at stake here, Leo. I mean, it isn't that if we don't teach our kids about money, they won't learn. They will learn because the consumer culture is constantly teaching them. And, and that's not such a good or healthy thing. So it's really important that we're the ones that are proactively teaching our kids about money. And the other thing is that there's so much potential here. I mean, as you mentioned, my day job, I work a lot with investing. And within the investing world, you talk we talk a lot about compounding, the power of compounding and how a little bit of money invested for a long period of time can turn into a lot of money. So it's a powerful thing. But I love the idea of taking that same idea of compounding and applying it to all sorts of things for kids. I mean, kids have, God willing, time on their side. They've got this invaluable asset called time. So you, if you get a young kid who gets a, a vision for generosity, a compassion for some of the world's great needs and some habits and practices around generosity, how God could multiply that over their lifetime is impossible for us to imagine or to quantify. Or you get a young person that, that develops a healthy relationship with money and with God and 
and how that could flow into their lifelong relationship with Christ, their relationship with their future spouse, their their freedom and ability to make the difference with their life they were designed to make. I just, I'm just excited about the potential of getting a, a young kid on the right track with money and how God could multiply that over their lifetime. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, I definitely can sense the passion coming from you as as you talk about this. So do me a favor and explain the title of the book. I think it's worthwhile digging into why, especially the subtitle. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, it, it first came from the very first parenting class that Jude and I ever took part in. She was pregnant with our oldest, uh, Jonathan. And so we went to this parenting class at our church. We used to live in Chicago. There was a great church we went to. And, and the associate pastor at the time was a guy named Keith and his wife, Cag. That's her nickname. Uh, her real name's Caroline. But they taught about, they used the metaphor of a funnel to teach about parenting. They said that, you know, when kids are super young, they're really little, the funnel is really tight. We're making basically all the decisions for them, what they'll wear, what they'll eat, all those sorts of things. But as they grow, we should we should teach them and train them and we should entrust them with more and more responsibility. So the funnel is widening out. And as they prove themselves trustworthy, we continue to widen the funnel, give them more and more responsibility. And that was brilliant, I thought. And it had the, the happy um, circum, uh, uh, coincidence of being biblical. It wasn't a coincidence, of course. But but if you look at, at Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. That's a direct example of that. Or the parable of the talents where the two servants who were trustworthy in, in managing well that the master's resources, they were strongly affirmed and then they were entrusted with more. And so that's the whole idea behind the, the title trusted. Mm, that's really, really good. So why, why do you think teaching kids about money is so important? Especially as, as you said, you have your own children, you've made mistakes, but tell us why it's important. And then tell us whether you think any parent is capable of doing this, or should we be entrusting to experts, let's say? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, Jesus, as you know, depicted money as really the chief rival for our hearts. And so if you think about the importance of this, it's it goes well beyond spreadsheets and calculators. It, you know, the Bible says that that some people eager for money have, have, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And we certainly don't want that for our kids. We want our kids to get on a good, God-honoring path. And so it's just really important to to, to be the primary teachers and, and we can do it. We don't need to outsource it. It's good for us not to outsource it. You know, a lot of parents think, oh, my finances are not quite tidy enough for me to be teaching on this topic. Um, it wouldn't be credible or I wouldn't know how to connect with my kids on this. But I would just encourage parents that, look, none of us ever get the money thing fully right. We're always learning. We're always in process. And that's why the first portion of every really practical chapter in the book, everything from earning to planning to giving to saving to investing to debt to spending smart, all those really practical chapters, the first portion is by intent directed toward parents because of the fact that we need to always be learning and there's always more for us to learn. And because of the fact that in our role modeling, that's where kids will really learn from us is, is as they see what we do and hear what we say about money. So we should be in process with money. We don't have to have things down perfectly. In fact, it'd, it'd be good for us to be transparent with our kids that, hey, we're learning this. Mom and dad are learning this about money. We'd like you to learn it as well. Yeah, I really like that because I think a lot of parents feel that they're incapable or maybe even embarrassed that their finances aren't perfect. And as your children get into that teenage year time frame where they kind of understand finances a little bit better, at least, it's maybe less um, 
comfortable <laughs> to tell your kids <laughs> that mom and dad didn't do such a great job, especially when it comes to who's going to pay for college or other things. But honestly, I think this is the, the one of the most important topics that we need to teach our kids because it permeates every area of their life. The career choice they'll take, whether they go into ministry and take a lesser job because that's what God's calling them to. Or if they'll say, well, I will make enough money going to ministry. I guess I'll have to go into a, you know, another type of work. But so much of it has to do with our spiritual life, right? Finance is essential to our spiritual walk. And parents sometimes don't just, they don't feel comfortable talking about it when they themselves feel like they made a mistake. But what would you say to them? Because I think we need to encourage parents to understand that just like anything else in life, making mistakes is not the end. It's sometimes the way we learn. Unfortunately, some lessons are only learned that way. In fact, if you're a parent, be encouraged because allowing your kids to make a mistake is probably the best thing you can do. It's the hardest thing to do and to watch, and you don't want to discipline and you don't want to tell them anything. You want to protect them and save them. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to step out of your home someday, right? You don't want to live with you until they're 45, 50. So you have to let them struggle. And in the same way, if we've struggled, that's okay. It's okay to share that. So talk about that. Help parents understand the importance of just being transparent and open and being open to grow them themselves as they're teaching their kids. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right that some of the best lessons are from making mistakes. And so I want kids to be hands-on with money. I don't want it to be abstract. I don't want it to be a chalkboard talk. I want, I want them to be making real decisions with real money. And sometimes it's hard for us as parents to let our kids fail, to let our kids make a mistake and to feel some regret or to feel some sadness over a financial decision. Maybe they spent all of this week's allowance and, and they see something else and they're upset that they can't get it. We would do them a great service by lovingly, warmly holding firm to a boundary that says, we're going to wait till next week until you have some more money to spend. We're not going to give a loan. We're not going to give an advance on, on next week's allowance. That's just a really, really important thing to do. Um, and I, and as you said, I think, I think we can be transparent. You know, we need to know our kids and know what's age appropriate for our kids. We don't want to, you know, give too much information maybe to someone, a kid that maybe can't handle it or might worry about it at some point. But I think we can be a little bit more transparent with our finances, with our kids at a younger age than we might suspect. Um, I know, Leo, that you and your wife were very transparent about opening up your family books, the budget to, to your kids, and it was so helpful um, for the for the kids, for the girls to see, all right, how much do we have for clothing? And now it's real world. Now it's not just this abstract notion that, oh, we can't, you know, we don't, we have the money for that or, or that. They can see it. They can kind of become partners in managing the family finances. We were saving for a, a special trip one year and we got the kids on board that, hey, this goes beyond the, the amount of money we had planned to spend on this. Would you you'd be on board with, with moving some of the money we had planned to spend for maybe Christmas gifts or entertainment and move it toward that? We were all in it together. They were all on board because they wanted to take that special trip. So I think it's it's good uh, for kids to, to understand and, and take some sense of ownership and partnership in the family finances. Mm. Yeah, totally agree with you. And one of the things that, that I like about what you've done with this book is that you interviewed a bunch of people who had raised their children, had taught them. My wife and I had the privilege of talking with you for a little bit on that. And, and I think that's really important. It, you didn't just take your ideas and your experience. You actually kind of searched far and wide to say, how have other parents done this? And then you took all that and brought it into the book. And I love the way you've quoted different things that different couples have done and the way kids were being exposed to this teaching on managing money. And it just makes the book really rich because it helps to see real life examples of the things that you're teaching. In it. And so I love that part of it. 
The other thing I wanted to ask you, Matt, is why do you think our society has such debilitating financial issues? Because obviously that's impacting the way we manage our finances, but also how we impart that to our children. So talk about that. Yeah, I think it traces back a long time. I mean, I've I've researched kind of the history of our so-called consumer culture. And back in the early 1900s, even that word consumer, that's when it first came into popular use. Prior to then, people were, were described as, as citizens or workers. But it was so many changes took place. There was mass production, um, communication lines opened up that opened up the possibility of, of mass marketing. So many things took place back then that kind of formed the foundation of our consumer culture. And ever since then, there's just been this vast marketing machine that's only become ever more sophisticated um, that that is tied in a in a very psychological sort of way our stuff with our identity, our stuff with our happiness, that's just woven into the fabric of our culture these days. I mean, it used to be the advertising was much more noticeable. You would see when the com the commercial would come on TV, it would interrupt the, the programming. But nowadays, especially with social media, there's just so much, and, and it's embedded into the, the storylines and TV shows and movies and even in comic books and, and video games. And so now it's just part of the air that we breathe so on the one hand, we don't notice it so much. And on the other hand, that makes it even more powerful. But but especially the phenomenon of social media, um, if, if it's not used well, if parents are not intentional about helping kids use it well, it can be kind of that message of, of, of looking and living by comparison on steroids. You know, now we're, we're, we're that's, that's really front and center with, with social media is, is living life by comparison. And that's not a healthy message. Um, in fact, there's been research out there that not only is it a bad thing in terms of our use of money, but it runs much deeper than that. It, it really conveys the message, not only that you don't have enough, but that you are not enough. Mm -hmm. There's a, some research out of New York University that's very compelling on this that shows that really at about the time in the in the 2010s, when, when social media became widely available on, on phones, they, as that rose and as more and more people, more and more young people were using social media on phones, that mirrors basically a rise in self-harm, especially among young girls, um, cutting behavior, even suicide, certainly depression and anxiety. And so it goes well beyond the consumer culture. It really strikes at something very, very important. It strikes at, at, at issues of identity and self-worth. Well, I do hope that you're enjoying this conversation and we're going to come right back to it. But I want to take just a minute to introduce you to one of our ministry partners. CSN's ministry would not be possible without the help of our partners. And frankly, we wouldn't want to do it without them. What they offer to churches and church leaders through services, content, and resources that they have is invaluable to building a healthy stewardship ministry and helping their people to become good stewards and generous givers. This episode of the Stewardship Leader Podcast is sponsored by Good Sense Movement. Good Sense is a nonprofit organization that exists to help churches equip their congregation in a key area of Christian discipleship, financial stewardship. Good Sense believes that as people live out the wisdom of God's word in the area of finances, they grow closer to God. Good Sense has a variety of resources that will engage and equip your entire congregation, not just those in financial crisis. Good Sense offers consulting to help churches develop a stewardship program that fits the unique needs of their congregation. To learn more, visit goodsensemovement.org.
Yeah, you touch on something really important here because finances are not really the problem in our lives. It's it just enhances whatever is in our lives. So if, if some things in our life are good, finances could just make it better, right? If if we're generous in some way, we use we could use money to be more generous and do more good. Whereas if you already have negative feelings or thoughts about how you feel about yourself and how you look at life and how other how you compare yourself to others, then you're going to use money or you you may even go beyond what you have, borrow and get into debt just to have this persona, this look that you hope will make you acceptable. And it's unfortunate because in our Western culture, the ability to live beyond your means is very, very easy for anyone. Right? You can take out credit card after credit card and you can run a crazy amount of debt before anybody stops you, <laughs> before you can't borrow anymore. And by then the damage is so huge. And that's the thing I think that I'm most passionate about with young folks is to help them understand this trap because that's exactly what it is. I remember I took my daughter, Rachel, to a college that she ended up going to for the first year and we went to orientation. And I said to her before we got out of the car on the way to the, to the, it was about 30 minute drive from our home. And I said, okay, Rachel, when we get in there, you're going to see at least one, but possibly multiple tables with different banks and different credit card companies. I said, they're all going to offer you something. It's either going to be a t-shirt, a hat, or some kind of goofy toy or something that you don't need, but they're there to get you to buy into this idea that you need a credit card. That's how you can operate when you're on your own, right? And sure enough, we walk in there. And this is a daughter that had been trained how to manage money since she was seven. So uh, it was kind of comical because she just looked at me and she just laughed. And we both laughed because they were giving away something really silly. But yet there were kids there signing up for it. And I, and I said to her, see, this is what happens if your parents didn't know this. We didn't so really know this. you prepared her for that so that she knew going in so that she wasn't at the effect of it. She had already made some decisions about that before she saw that. That's so yep. great. And today, what you're seeing on college campuses is online gambling being mm. promoted. Yep. And they say they're not promoting it to the to the students. But of course, it's in the stadiums where the students are going to see their college team play. And so it's only, you know, it's only moving further in that direction. Yeah, yeah. And ever more the reason why parents need to really be in the game to help their kids navigate and to, to manage expectations about what you're going to experience, like you're saying, when you go off to college. Mm -hmm. Well, Matt, talking about that, because obviously we, we can point to a lot of the problems that are happening, both in the financial sense and, of course, in our culture and how it portrays or tries to mold us in a way that that's not not biblical. So talk about the benefits of having a biblical worldview on money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's essential because our, our relationship with money is tightly bound up in our relationship with God. Um, the Bible says, as you know, more about money, material things than any other subject except the kingdom of heaven. And so it's obviously a hugely, hugely important spiritual issue. And if a student, if a young person understands that, that it's not just about making a wise spending decision, as important as that is. You know, there's all sorts of things we can learn about going to the store, comparison shopping and making trade-offs and all kinds of really good things. But if we don't first understand the heart issue, that it all belongs to God, that we're to manage it for his purposes and according to his principles, then we've really missed the boat. You know, in the, in the book, I talk about heart, head, and hands, that you need all three. So the heart is the worldview. The heart is the, the heart for God, the heart for Christ. The heart is, 
is God's word written on our hearts. So that becomes the dominant influence over everything that we think and do. The head is, is more the knowledge. Okay. I know that the Bible says that in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish person devours all that they have. The head tells me, okay, where can I get the best interest rate for the money that I'm going to set aside in reserve? And then the hands, like I said earlier, I want kids to be very hands-on. So it's not theory. They're really doing things with money and making some mistakes along the way, like we talked about, but doing real things. You can't have only two of those without the third. And they don't work in a linear fashion. They're working always to reinforce each other. We're, you know, as we're teaching a young child to sort the laundry at night, as we teach them to, to do all things to, 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 with all of our heart, and it's working for the Lord, they can understand, okay, there's a heart issue here. I'm not just like sorting socks. I'm, I'm working for the, for the glory of God and, and, you know, as, as, as working for him. So for us to, to, teach our kids, raise our kids, knowing that this isn't just about getting the best deal in a car. This is about glorifying God. And yes, let's get the good deal in the car as well. Yeah, that's good. Those are that great benefits. And obviously the principles uh, that we're teaching or would be teaching our children uh, are right there in scripture, right? It teaches us the practical things. And then, as you said, we could teach them, but also recognize that it is a heart issue it's a head issue, but also how do we live that out, right? So it's part of what stewardship is all about. It's not just theory. It's not just ideas. It's principles that work, but they have to be embraced, right? It, they have to be something that we believe in our hearts and live out practically in the world. So uh, thank you for those benefits, sharing those with our audience and, of course, the parents that are out there. Now, let's talk about what are the risks or the potential risk uh, of not establishing these principles uh, with our children? What what could possibly happen if we either do nothing at all or potentially maybe even do things that would encourage our kids to go down the wrong path? Because we make mistakes, and if we don't catch ourselves, then that's just going to be replicated in our children. So what would you say would be the potential risks if we do nothing? Yeah, there's so many. I mean, first and foremost, it, it's a matter of faith. And so, you know, a, a person would never say, oh, money is my God. They would never say that. And yet the behavior may start to convey that. And so we don't want to put anything ahead of our relationship with Christ. So that's the first risk. If we're not teaching, then the consumer culture, which has a very strong point of view and a very constant message um, in our kids' ears and, and in our ears, is going to get a hold of them and steer them down a path that's not so great. So that that's the first thing. But but then I mean money affects marriages in a huge way. And and so a young person, you know, you're thinking, oh, I'm teaching, you know, little Johnny to put, you know, 10 cents out of every dollar in, in a piggy bank. Isn't that cute? Well, look, down the road, if they develop that habit of setting some money aside in savings, that's going to be a benefit to their marriage. That's going to be a benefit to their peace of mind to be able to go and walk through the world with God's word teaching them and and them demonstrating that teaching in living life with the reserve because things do happen you know expensive things at all the wrong times um and then just you know i say just i mean mismanaging money is is not a great thing i once had twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt it took me four and a half years to dig out of that credit card debt and a financed car really easy to get in trouble with money really difficult to get out of trouble with money it takes time usually and and so there are spiritual benefits there are relational benefits there are financial benefits and and by the same token on, on the other side there are spiritual risks there are relational risks and there are financial risks to not getting this this stuff figured out yeah yeah well well stated yeah i, I experienced some of that both from 
you know, living in my home, uh, when, when I was still at home with my parents, seeing them fight over money. And, and it was the one motivated that Natalie and I had was to not replicate that in our own marriage. We had a, we've had a very good uh, marriage over the last 30 plus 33 plus years that we've been married, but that was the one area of our life that neither one of us were trained how to manage money. So we came into it with this idea of, Hey, we could buy whatever we can afford. And if we can't afford it, we could buy it on payments. And, and then before we knew it, we we're in over our heads and the stress that that brought, especially on me, because I, I'm very much a control person. I like to have things, you know, structured and, and I'm that kind of personality. So for me, when things came unraveled, uh, it really troubled me. It really messed me up. And so then of course my reaction was, I'm, we're not spending money on anything, you know, and my wife's like, wait, <laughs> wait, we have to have a life. And, and so anyway, my point is that it, it does affect you in such a way and it's fun for the moment, but it's painful for a long time. And these are the risks that we could potentially put our children through if we don't take some kind of action. But what would you say to parents who don't know where to begin? Like, what, what does that look like, Matt? Practically, how do we help our children? And maybe you can address it from different age groups. I don't know, maybe young five to 10 or so, and then beyond, of course, as they reach their teen years, how would you guide parents in, in starting out and what they should begin with? Yeah, well, begin with yourself. Because um, like I said, nobody ever really gets this thing completely figured out. So whether you're struggling, maybe you've got a lot of debt, or whether you're doing fine, you're comfortable financially, dig into God's word and, and be a student of God's word on money and always be growing in your application and your asking of, of God, what, what next would you have me do um, around the use of your resources? So that's why the first portion of your, every, every practical chapter in the book speaks directly to the parents because I want parents to be constantly learning. I want all of us to constantly be learning more and more about money and God's intentions for our use of money. But then if you take just, you know, pick an example, like say savings. And so a very, very young kid, I mean, we teach them, we build the expectation from the earliest age when they get the first dollar flowing into their life. You can get these three slotted piggy banks or you could use three mason jars or three envelopes, but the whole give, save, spend thing is great. You know, a lot of people talk about that, but that's great. That's that's a beginner's budget. Actually, you're teaching budgeting and you're teaching saving and giving and 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 setting aside a portion for sa for spending as well. So you're doing multiple things at once there. And then teach them the why. When I was writing the book, I sat down with with several 20-something young men who all had been raised in Christian homes, all had seen their parents giving generously. None of them really understood why. So yes, we build the expectation, first dollar, give it to them in dimes and put a dime in, in savings at least. I actually recommend more in savings, at least a dime in, in giving and then, and then some set aside for, for spending. But teach them the why. Show them God's heart, that God doesn't want us to struggle with money. He wants us to have a reserve. He doesn't want us to use credit. He wants us you know, to, to, to have a good experience with these resources that he's entrusted to our care. So that that's a you know really young child as and, and I like young kids to to use real money. So you know who does that anymore, right? Mm, but yet yeah. you know go to the bank, get some real money, and and show kids and and young kids will see crazy things like oh the nickel is physically larger than the dime, but it's worth less. You know they're going to learn some of these crazy counterintuitive sorts of things. They're learning how to count, you know, using money to learn how to count. There's there's just some really good practical hands-on things to do with money. As they get a little bit older, take them to a bank. And we used to have this really sweet bank in a town we lived in in Illinois that had this, this uh, little staircase 
on wheels that you could roll up to the teller window and the kids could go up the steps and see the teller face to face and hand over their coins to deposit. And, and they were now, now they're starting to do some real kind of adult things. They're banking now, they're putting money in savings. And, you know, again, look, people say, well, you get a higher interest rate in an online bank, but I want things to be real, especially when they're young. And then soon enough, when they get to be you know, eight, nine, 10. Okay. Time to switch to an online bank, get that better interest rate, but still go online with them, show them the account, show them the interest coming in. Hey, that's your money's working for you. Now you're earning some interest on this money. That's a good thing. And so those are some kind of age-based ways to, to grow into this one particular example of saving money. Yeah. I really like the, the what you just shared about the physical part of managing money. I think that's such a crucial thing because the financial systems in our country, in our world now, try to desensitize us to the fact that we're losing money or we're spending money, right? The credit card, you know, that study's been done over and over where if you lose plastic, if you use a card, even a debit card, you're going to spend a percentage more than you would if you use actual cash. And I remember I was doing a workshop years ago. Well, it was a workshop where they taught people how to actually manage money over about a seven-week period. So they have to start tracking expenses. And one of the things that we encourage them to do is to use cash in any area they thought they spent too much money in. So in this one particular guy really took offense to the fact that I said, use cash. It's like, that's ridiculous. Why would I want to carry cash? And he didn't say anything, of course, out loud. But then the next week, we always had a time of like uh, testimony, like what, what did God say to you this week kind of thing. It just took about five minutes to to see what God had been doing and just celebrate with people as God was showing up. And he always did. So it was great. Well, anyway, he gets up and he says, I have to apologize to you, Leo. I was teaching the class. He says, I have to apologize to you because when you said that last week, I was really offended. And I went away like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then he says, my wife and I both have like cash money. They basically allow themselves a certain amount of money to spend every month. But it was always through a debit card or credit card. And he said, I decided to take it out in cash. So I gave it to my wife and I kept mine. And it was like a minimal amount, like 10 or $20. And he said, man, he said, I had like six or seven opportunities to spend that money. And I just wouldn't, <laughs> I just wouldn't do it. And he said, finally, when I did, it was to buy bread and milk. <laughs> you know, I didn't <laughs> use it on myself. And I, and I said, see how easy it is to understand when you have this in your hands, it makes you think about it at a level that you would never think about when you swipe your credit card. Because you know, yeah. it's a, it's just a number. So my point in sharing that short story is really to say that because our kids are also being affected in the same way, they're being desensitized to the actual cost. In fact, the one thing that really kind of irks me is the fact that most of young people today have been trained to not think of the overall cost of an item, but simply what does it cost per month? It's a right. membership lifestyle. How much is it per month? Can I afford it? Can I just automat put it on automatic? Whether it's my Starbucks coffee or it's some kind of experience. And it's unfortunate because they're overpaying for things because they've never been taught the value of asking, well, what is the overall cost and how is that going to affect me? And so this practical management of money really does sow those seeds of awareness. And I love that you included that uh, not only in your answer, but in your book that it's so important to do that. It, it is getting harder though, because the cash is starting to be less and less of a favorable thing for people to walk around with. But I hope we can at least retain it so we can train our kids about that. I do too. I mean, money's become so abstract. I mean, what, you know, tap of a phone, we can buy things that way. What, what is that? You know, what, what just happened there? Was that a financial transaction? It's yeah. confusing for kids. And we were in a store not long ago and the kids had cash to, to buy some clothing. The cashier didn't know what to do with it, had to ask the manager to come over to help them process the transaction because it's so uncommon right. these days. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I think especially when kids are young, it's really important for it to be really tangible for them. 
Mm, yeah. So Matt, as an overall goal of teaching our kids about money, what would you say that should be? I mean, obviously there's a practical side of it, but what is the overall reason why we should be teaching our kids? I know there's probably more than one, but if you had to pick one, what is the overall goal of doing this? I mean, I think the overall goal of, of doing this is the same as the overall goal with life, and that is to glorify God. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a very broad answer. But but if we're walking through life thinking, all right, Lord, what would you have me do here? I'm I'm looking for a house. You know, I'm I'm attracted to this feature or that feature. But Lord, what would you have me do? How can I glorify you in, in the use of the resources you've blessed me with in this purchase decision? That's a good question to ask ourselves from time to time. Um, but as I, a little bit more specifically, I mean, I think that there are three overarching purposes that jump out at me of of life. One is to to love God. You know, when when the Pharisees asked Jesus, what what's what what are the most important commands? He said he said love God and love people. So you know, those are our first two marching orders, and we can use money in ways very intentionally to love God, to to generously invest in His resources, to ask in prayer before we make certain purchase decisions. Those things are are expressions of loving God um, and loving people. You know, we can use money in, in marriage in ways that are not very loving or the opposite in ways that are very loving and and same thing in raising kids and the same thing in, in treating others that we encounter and, and through generosity. And then I think also, you know, from Ephesians 2.10, that we were made for lives of, of good deeds prepared in advance for us to do. And and so to have those three purposes in mind, if those are the three overarching purposes of, of our lives, then those are the three overarching purposes of money. And they may sound kind of 30,000 foot, but it's good to step back sometimes and think about, okay, how have I arranged my finances? And are is the way that I have our finances arranged in our household, is it is it arranged in a way that that shows our love for God, our love for people, and our desire to make a difference with with these lives that we've been given. I think that's a, a good starting point for kind of the purposes of this sort of training. Because if kids can grow up with that mindset, man, look out, because the good that they can do in their lives and that God can do through them would be pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that answer. I think it's it so speaks to the what you said at the beginning, you know, which is that God owns it all. We're stewards. And that's something we need to impart to our kids. And when we do things God's way, then blessings abound. Whereas if we take our own path and do our own thing, that's when life gets really difficult. And that's when, you know, we find ourselves in situations God never meant for us to be in. And I think that's the the beauty of being able to train up our kids to, to avoid those landmines and really f keep it to what you said, which is, it's really about glorifying God. That's where we're going to find our fulfillment. It's not going to be anywhere else. It'll be in God and money is one of those things that can pull us away so easily. Uh, so it's so, so crucial that we train our kids. Matt, what is what is the one thing that you hope readers will take away from reading your book? I mean, the readers are parents. And so I hope that the parents are, you know, encouraged to take this on, not as one more to, thing for the to-do list, because no parent needs or wants that. But but I hope that they see, for one thing, the importance and, and the potential of training up their kids and in, in the way they should go financially. I just, I hope they get a vision. You know, I really, I, I hope, you know, like I said, it can seem like such a small thing to put a couple of coins in a, in a piggy bank. It seems like such a small, insignificant thing. But if they have a vision for their kid's life and see the greater good that can come from some of these habits and practices developed early, I would hope that they would catch 
catch that vision. I would also hope that they see that this isn't, like I said, about one more to thing to, uh, for the to-do list, that they could see that that through the natural rhythms of everyday life, they can do this. They can bring their kids into the conversations. They're in the grocery store. They're showing their kids. They're talking to their kids about decisions. Here's how I can look at cost per ounce or cost per account and make a wise decision. Here's, here's how I can compare the private label versus the branded item. Here's how I can you know notice that, that marketers have set certain products at eye level. But if I look up or look down, sometimes the better deals are there. And so they can start to navigate by, by us bringing the kids into the conversation. We're working on updating our online budget. Our kid is nearby. We say, hey, you know, did you notice I'm just, I'm paying the, the water bill. You know, let's, let's find out well, how much does water cost? We're just bringing them into conversations in, of everyday life. And, and so much can be taught that way. There are some things that, that we'll want to sit down and be really proactive in teaching them, you know, Roth IRA versus traditional IRA when, when the time comes, which is sooner than some uh, might, might think. Um, but I think a lot of, of these lessons can be taught through the natural rhythms of everyday life if we just bring our kids into the conversation. That's so good. Well, I am so grateful for you for writing this book. I wish you would have wrote it. Well, you're probably too young at that time, but I wish you would have wrote it so I could have read it when I was teaching my kids. But <laughs> but I, I'm just grateful for the work you put into it. Again, the book is Trusted, Preparing Your Kids for a Lifetime of God-Honoring Money Management by Matt Bell. Matt, where can people find out more about this book? Where can they purchase it? And more about you and what you're planning to do with this book and, and the ministry that you're overseeing. Yeah, well, you can find me a couple of places. My day job, as you've mentioned, is with Sound Mind Investing. So that's soundmindinvesting.com. And then on the side, I write a blog called mattaboutmoney.com. And the book can be found anywhere you buy books, whether that's Amazon, christianbook.com, or other places like that. And uh, But probably my own personal blog at Matt About Money is where you can find out more about other speaking I'm doing and some other media appearances and that sort of thing. That's awesome. Well, if you're listening to this and you need a, a someone to speak on this topic, definitely reach out to Matt. Matt would love to speak at your church or your organization and really just impart what God has taught him and what he's learned from others, because that's what's in this book. A lot of great information that I think would really help parents today to learn how to both how to be better at their own finances, because you have to do that in order to be a good at teaching your own children, but then to impart them to your children. What a wonderful part of a legacy that we get to do is to pass this on to our children. So Matt, thank you for the time and the work that you've put into putting this content together. Uh, this book is going to be a great resource for families, and I appreciate it. Thank you also for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Leah. I really appreciate the opportunity. And if you've been listening, thank you so much. Uh, we really, truly enjoy bringing this kind of content to you to both equip and encourage you to be a better steward yourself, but also to train others to do the same. So I hope that if you want to know more about stewardship and generosity, and perhaps maybe God has, has called you to this ministry, then connect with us. We're at christianstewardshipnetwork.com, and we'd love to resource and equip you if you're a stewardship pastor or just a regular pastor. Um, join us as well. We would love to impart to you the things that, that Matt's been talking about in his book, God's Financial Principles, and help you to speak on this topic to your own congregation. Uh, we think it's a vital message for our culture. It's something that uh, we believe is for this time. Uh, there's probably no better time in history, no other time in history, uh, where finances are so center stage. And so people look to it for answers and for meaning. And 
That's not where they're going to find it. They're going to find it in the Lord. But finances can be used for God's glory. Finances is neutral, but it will do some great things or it could harm us. And so we at Christian Stewardship Network are here to equip the church to teach on this topic and to help our congregations become financially healthy, but also spiritually mature in the Lord. So thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Stewardship Leader.